Hello and welcome to Series 2 of the Learning and Development Challenges podcast. Adam here once again as your guide. In this series, we're looking at how to better engage frontline or deskless workers with learning. And today we're talking to Vicky Howden. Vicky is a HR consultant and coach who currently is working as a lecturer at Exeter College. She teaches various leadership courses with a focus on people practices. She's worked across a number of business sectors from manufacturing to public service. And Vicky's passion lies in creating learning cultures and developing individuals whilst finding smart solutions for organizational needs. Vicky, it is a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Fantastic. So let's launch into our first question. My first question is always a context question. So for our listeners out there who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit more about your current role and some of your experience in learning and development? Sure. It goes back around 15 years ago when I started to study L&D in university. It was a very interesting role and topic. We looked at self-directed learning, adult learning. And as part of my research, I was supporting my professors who were trying to put in place a university of third age concept for people who are no longer in full-time employment, so retired individuals, 50 plus, there was always a need and, and an appetite for learning in that age category in Hungary. But with the support of my uh, dissertation and research, it was actually very clear that there was a need. So this program is still going. Was that 15 years now? And there's really good uptake on it. Around 13 years ago or so, I've brought me to the UK. That's the only, that is how I ended up here. I've worked a number of <clears throat> business sectors around manufacturing, public service, and I took on different roles in HR and learning and development. So this is where pretty much my experience comes. And at the moment, I'm working for Exeter College as a lecturer, delivering all kinds of stuff. So mainly focusing on CIPD and CMI related qualifications and apprenticeships. But the thing I love most in my role is that I can work with a wide range of individuals. So I have HR managers on my course. I have operations managers, head of departments. And, you know, the learning is just fantastic from both sides. I learn from them as much as they learn from me. So, yes, that's pretty much where I am. Fantastic. Cool. And you've got a real varied set of experience and some really interesting frontline and operational training experience as well that, that I think we want to dig into. So let's maybe start there. So what, take us through some of those or some of the best examples of frontline training that you've either experienced in the last few years or maybe have come across via some of the people that you're now teaching as well. So I know there's loads of great stories there also. Oh, yes, definitely. Before I joined the college, I used to work for the police service as a leadership trainer. So we had to put in place quite a lot of different training interventions around uh, different needs of the workforce. So best practice examples around training would be blended learning solutions because you need to think about the operational needs of the workforce. So looking at the police service, they're always on the go. They have to have different shift pattern. So you have to adjust your delivery method and start. But then equally, if you look at any emergency service holistically, I suppose, you need to think about their readiness to learn as well. So what is the best solution in a sense of they just come off a shift, yeah, or they attend a critical incident. doesn't matter what you look at, fire service, I don't know, ambulance or the police. They're all facing similar issues in that sense. They have to 
really almost step back and think about, am I ready for this day of learning? And us as an ND professionals, we need to think about that as well. So are we putting the best solution in place for our workforce in here? Or are we just dragging them in into a classroom when, when perhaps something big happened out there? So that's probably, yeah. And was it always classroom type of training for that approach? You mentioned blend. How else did you reach those groups of people that are, like you say, on the go, notoriously hard to kind of tie down to certain times because of shifts. I suppose COVID helped us in a large extent because we were forced to do things differently and utilize existing capabilities in the workforce, both tech-wise and both knowledge-wise. Best example would be when we put together a CPD week. So the CPD developing uh, all the capabilities of the workforce. So I was tasked to put together a big program and have a look at what kind of interest I suppose the workforce has. The purpose of the solution was to break down silo working so individuals can log in using Microsoft Teams because that was our platform free, available. Everybody had it on their devices, either on their phones or desktops or laptops and so on. So they were able to log in no matter where they are. And it was like bite-sized learning solutions. So no longer the half an hour. So people can join. Those bite-sized, what were they? What kind of media were they? Videos, articles, audio, live sessions? What, what, were, you, yeah. what were you doing there? So it was mainly around live sessions. So invited different individuals from different departments, external speakers, some around being. We had an amazing speaker from Microsoft coming in and trying to upskill our workforce to say, oh yeah, okay, these are the capabilities of, at that point, it was Microsoft Teams because of COVID. And people were able to ask questions and get to know each other. Because, you know, in a large organization like the NHS or the police, big public sector organizations, it's very easy to work in silos in different departments. Yeah, of course. And so the purpose of that was to bring people from all different areas of the organization into the one place at the one time with a shared goal around upskilling, learning, development. Yeah. Yes. And also to get to know each other, because sometimes if you know someone, you can get things done a lot faster. Whereas if you're just addressing a inquiry to, to share a mailbox, it's still getting done. But sometimes if you need a quick answer, you will have that point of contact. That's a really and interesting because... one, actually, because I think that's almost yeah. one of the most undervalued things that, that a learning department can do. And that is facilitate connections and help people build networks within organizations and we've talked about it on a couple of other podcasts about how important it is as a learning manager to have a good network so then when you want to invite people to a week of cpd managers and stuff are encouraging others but actually being the group or being the team that's facilitating those connections across the organization breaking down silos like you say whether this is like you know a big corporate whether it's a government organization or you know police you know nhs whatever it is that facilitation of connections is hugely valuable to those people and they come away from that session or those days not only having learned but having built their networks internally exactly that because that is the underpinning principle to to creating a good and useful learning culture in an organization but i suppose you have issues around how people are valuing these sessions. So we talked about the readiness of learning, yeah? So we really need to make sure that individuals have the mental capacity to take on that learning and also the role of the line manager to role model the learning behaviors as well. 
Because if they don't encourage others to do it, then learning is almost a secondary thing. It's like a two-step process, isn't there? Because it's like, A, just getting people to the learning and getting them to value it. But then B, the line manager is really kind of responsible for then making sure that what they've learned is embedded in their work and they are applying it. Because there's nothing worse than going to a really good 30-minute session on Microsoft Teams, like if we just continue that example, and you get shown loads of great stuff, but then you go back to your desk and you continue to do all the old stuff you were doing without, without any of the new stuff. And I think that's a big role of line managers as well, you know, to inspire people to get them to training, but then also to help with that after a training intervention has happened, how to make sure that it kind of it sticks and it's utilized and it has the business impact. Exactly that, because if you look at the return on investment after a training course or training evaluation, it's often we stuck at the first two layers of it. Oh yeah, great feedback. Individuals really enjoyed it. It was a jolly to be out of the normal, ordinary day. Well, actually what happened six months down the line? Are you really using that learning? And what I would say would be very helpful to actually build in the checking process six months down the line. What is the impact? of that solution which was put in place. Is the individual using it now? Is it embedded? Was it shared with others? That is the ultimate gold star service, isn't it? When you come back from a training session and then you're sharing and showing it to someone, actually there is a better and faster way to get things done. Yes, yeah, that network effect. You tell someone something great, they're so enthusiastic about it, they basically become a, a mouthpiece or a, an amplifier for that you know, for that new way of doing things. That's, yeah, that's your gold standard. I think if you can get to that and you have people recommending what you said, then, you know, that's what you want. Word of mouth kind of reality. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Cool. That's a really good example. Any others you wanted to talk through or we can, I can move on to the next question, whichever you prefer. In terms of examples of and the best practice. Yeah, for frontline training in particular that you've come frontline across. Frontline training. Well, I have some notes in here because I, I thought there was so many cool stuff out there. Yeah. So I thought... There is one from NHS, for example. So some NHS trusts are using the block style of content creation for okay. their workforce. That's a bit slightly different because it's almost asynchronous learning. They can dip in wherever they want. They can comment on each other's blog posts. So that's another way of approaching frontline learning. So take the pressure off from face-to-face -face delivery and actually be live in the session. So that one is quite useful. And is um, that kind of peer-to-peer? -peer? So is that rather than learning people in the NHS, writing the yes. blogs, is it clinicians? Is it people yes. in different positions doing exactly them? Yeah? That. Yes. Empowering others yeah. to almost be self-directed in a sense of, yes, this is my interest. I can, I can share my passion with others or subject area expertise, like you said, like with clinicians. Very similar thing happened in Chester Zoo. So we attended a conference, yeah, I did a conference in 2018, I think it was. And there was a guest speaker there from Chester Zoo who shared their experiences around, again, a workforce always on their feet. They don't really have much interaction with different areas. And they said that the CPD sessions they put in place was five, 10 minutes, again, bite-sized. So you can see the LND trends emerging since 2018 and even before. And individuals share experiences. So there was one lady who had an autistic brother. So she had a session, five, 10 minute session for the other zookeepers. This is how you can support a visitor with autism or if they're going through a difficult time right. uh, due to Brilliant. the crowds. Yeah, just, yeah, crowds or just different environment, you know, all sorts of things, I guess. Yeah. 
So it's just a, another way of actually giving the power to the whole workforce to actually create that learning culture. And it is a kind of cost-effective way of dealing with training. I like that a lot. You know, tapping into the subject matter experts in your business or your organization, not just that, but just leaning on the things that they are curious about and the things that they care about and are passionate about. Like you say, the the person with a, you know, an autistic son creating a course on that for for workers, something she's clearly passionate about, has probably done a lot of her own research on and is very knowledgeable in that area. And the value of sharing that with the organization is really high, comes over most likely in an incredibly genuine way and is going to be a super effective learning intervention, you know? And so it's, yeah, it's great. Leverage the expertise in your business. I think that's a really top tip. I love that. That's some great examples. Thank you for those. I wanted to ask you your opinion on the kind of split between in-person and digital. And I know this is it's quite a big question, to be honest with you, because it like, I guess the answer really is it depends who you're teaching in a lot of ways. But for, you know, frontline workers or examples where you've seen this work, is there a good split? Should people be aiming for some digital, mostly digital, more in face, all that kind of stuff? Would, would love your opinion on that. Oh, it's a big one. I mean, there is no idea solution it, because if you look at different learning needs. I've worked with a number of neurodivergent individuals who preferred the online delivery. So very much the Microsoft Teams live delivery, where actually if they needed, they could take themselves off the screen and then have that five minutes or, or for whatever reason, which wasn't perhaps as easy to replicate in a classroom without others realizing that something is going on. In that sense, it can be helpful for individuals. If we look at the blended example, so when you have the opportunity, let's say that individuals can attend the training session in the classroom, but for whatever reason, people can join in online and experiencing the same same training session, I suppose, can be again very helpful when you look at to try to build your talent pipeline. Because sometimes individuals with caring responsibilities are not going to be able to attend face-to-face sessions. And most of the time, it's still women largely with caring responsibilities. So if you want to diversify your SMT, your senior management team, and get more women into the talent pipeline, you really need to think about, are we actually disadvantaging a certain layer of our workforce by not being as flexible as possible uh, with our LND solutions? But I wouldn't say there is an ideal split in the newer generations. They live in, in this dual world. The, the virtual world, all the phones and everything, and, and, and the actual world as well. What do you think? I think it ma- it changes massively depending on the industry and the kind of the organization as well. You can get a lot of scale from digital solutions. So whether that is like live online or pre-recorded or, you know, podcasts or videos or whatever, but then you miss out on some of that relationship building and stuff that we talked about earlier and that networking that's just like super important that you can only really create in person to be honest with you i think even when it's a team session you don't get those incidental networking and relationships build so yeah <laughs> it's really difficult and I, I, just, I think you just you have a few things in your toolkit and you pull out the right thing at the right time for the most appropriate moment i would say and, and you know what? That is very true. So looking at either the manufacturing or the police experience of mine, or actually as a lecturer now, 
individuals, especially since COVID, they really want that personal connection. Yeah. They want the flexibility, but they really want that personal connection as well to have the ability to actually just blow blast yeah. and ask opinions of others and just be with people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What well, We met, didn't we, Vicky, at yeah, an exactly. industry show. And I've done industry shows for many years. Having done them post-COVID, I would say there is more energy in the room, more people wanting to have a chat, more people willing to share ideas and, and stuff like that than there ever was before. And it is really interesting. Being at those now, it feels very different to the shows I would have done five years ago, the other organizations. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting, but you almost feel that pent up demand for in-person interactions that, that I guess people have been missing. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Let's discuss self-directed learning because this is a big one obviously we put together these programs in learning and development people go on courses and all the rest of it but there's this big area of kind of learning where it's just people going and finding stuff for themselves or even finding resources on the the lms or on the you know systems they have access to frontline environment what does that kind of self-directed look like so in terms of frontline or deskless workforce if you look at more the practical skills, say manufacturing and production, so that is easier to implement because self-directed learning has a long history. But if you look at the recent research in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, what, what they say is people learn what they want, where they want, how they want, and they always also set their own learning goals. So there is already a bit of a disconnect between what organizational learning is trying to achieve and what the individual's drivers are there. But nevertheless, it is a very helpful way of say, actually, I want to do, I don't know, carpentry. I want to learn it. There's so much stuff out there which individuals can do outside of work. Same with coaching and mentoring, for example, my other topic area, which is very close to my heart. But I suppose the problem with self-directed learning and LND is there will be always an element of curation and, and the content is what the learner actually selected. Is that the right information? Can we use it? And if that learner is giving that information to others, is that the way how we need to do that certain training, if, especially if you look at, I don't know, health and safety yeah. or any <laughs> regulated areas. You, you, know? you don't want people um, finding their own, really, do you? Because they've got to hit the certain yeah. markers that you need them to hit. No, but you know, if it's anything relating to interest or well-being or soft skills development, it is an incredibly valuable tool. We just need to almost step back as L&D professionals and let the percentage of control go. We still need to keep the control for the essential mandatory trainings. But, and what if people want to investigate their own well-being and learning and soft skill development? The more we encourage people to learn, the better it is for the organization in the long term. And I guess going back to our earlier point that we were talking about, you get someone that becomes particularly passionate on a certain topic. You as a learning department can then tap into that and ask them to share their expertise in a session or in a video or, or whatever it is and in whatever kind of medium you want. But you then, if you've supported that and like you say, given them the bandwidth to explore different things or things they're passionate about that add value to their career and to the profession, they can then become a, an internal expert for you. Absolutely. And if you look at a workforce, we truly don't know the composite 
of the available knowledge in that workforce, do we? Because we don't know who does what outside of work, or we don't really know the previous full extent of their previous experiences. And there will be some surprises where there is a job opportunity came up and say, oh, yeah, actually, who are you? We didn't even know that we have this amazing knowledge in the organization. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, it's that. If only you could download the human brain, hey, that would be, it. could actually map out what people are good at in your organization. And yeah, that would be learning utopia. Amazing. So let's discuss some of the barriers because this is always one of my favorite questions. What are the problems you've experienced with trying to engage frontline deskless workers? I think you maybe touched on a couple of them in the first answer, but let's get into the problems that people will face. Yeah. So it's an interesting one because when you look at the workforce, in an ideal world, what would we do in learning, isn't it? You come into a training session with a cup of coffee, you sit down, the trainer is there, the trainer would say, okay, are we ready? Three, two, one, learn. Yeah. <laughs> Don't really work like that, do we? I mean, we are humans, we, we have competing needs and so on in the organizations and both in personal lives as well. Therefore, I think the biggest barrier what I faced in my career working with other with manufacturing and, and the police service or working with different individuals as part of research or in my current role. I think the biggest problem in here is that way how much pressure is on, let's go with the frontline workers, such as emergency services. Uh, this is what I touched on earlier. They really need to have that time to decompress. We really must understand where are the pressure points in, like, for example, in, in a course of a year or manufacturing, yeah, shipping deadlines or peak periods. If we put on a learning intervention four days before a project deadline, it's unlikely we're going to maximize the cognitive capacity of the individuals in that course because they will be overworked, they will be worried. And I think, therefore, the solution for that is to understand the bigger picture, understand the whole organization and the needs not just for that department, but for the whole LND, because when we are trying to forecast and put together a training development or like a whole training plan for a whole year, we really need to understand where are the pressure points, where is the best time to put a training intervention in place. So I suppose point one was the mental readiness in there, isn't it? Are our candidates ready to learn? But then equally, psychological safety is a big one. Oh, that's a great one. For me. Yeah. So I usually talk about Timothy Clark's work around the psychological safety, four stages of psychological safety, where individuals, when they join a team or an organization, they really need to feel that uh, they, they are welcome and they need it. And then the next stage is actually they can learn, they can ask questions because there is that safety net there that it is okay to ask questions and learn from the small mistakes. And then as we move forward to the higher levels of the psychological safety, they will soon able to contribute. This is where we are looking at the self-directed learning, contribute, share their ideas, share their learning with others. And then the highest level is where actually they will challenge individuals, but not necessarily the individuals, but the way of working and the way of thinking. Yeah. And that is where I would say learning is the best, but not all organizations grasping the concept of psychological safety, unfortunately. Yeah, it's such an important one. It's come up a number of times in different interviews we've done actually and in different guises, but you're 100% right. People have to feel that they can explore their interests, that they can challenge the status quo and that they can do all this kind of stuff without it 
coming back at them or without being told, you know, you're making a nuisance or, or whatever it is. You, you have to have that kind of atmosphere of safety there to allow people to be curious and to push things forward in a meaningful way. Yes. And you know what? Curiosity is the ultimate, ultimate ticket for learning in my eye. So if you look at positive, positive psychology from Chicks and Mihai, it's all about curiosity. The more curious we are, the more interesting life is. But then again, that's a barrier because often people lose that curiosity for whatever reason, either education takes it out of us or the life in general, all the stresses around us, for whatever reason, sometimes we just lose it. I, I interviewed Stefan van Hoydunk last year who wrote the book, The Curiosity Manifesto, I think it's called. It's a fantastic book. I'd really recommend it. And I've recommended it on the podcast a few times. I'll recommend it again. It's really good. One of the things he said that really stuck with me is that everyone is curious about something. It's just that they're not always curious about the thing you want them to be curious about. So they might not be curious about work, but they run their kids football team outside of work and they're super passionate about helping them get to the final of the couple, whatever it is in that there's always passion there somewhere. And actually the job is to work out what the passion is and help align it to things that they're doing. And yeah, that really stuck with me because I, I think of some people as like, oh, having just lost curiosity, but actually he is hundred percent right. They will have, they will be curious about something just, just maybe not, maybe not the thing they're working on, for example, which is the thing you want them to be yeah, curious too. about. But then equally, let, let's go with that football example. All of those skills are transferable exactly. skills to, to the organizations or leadership skills, soft yeah. skills, dealing Coaching. with different situations. Mentoring. Yeah, exactly. And that's the point I think that Stefan was trying to make when we we're talking about it. So it's, yeah, it's it really interesting that I love that. But curiosity is just, yeah, you're right. It's such a big one as well. It's and so important for learner-led learning or, you know, learner-led self-development. Great. I want to talk technology next, if that's okay. This is an interesting okay. one. So have you seen or come across any examples of where organizations, businesses are using technology to enable learning for certain groups? Or on the flip side of that, have you seen it done really badly? <laughs> Either or is fine. But but yeah, I just wondered why I wondered if you, you any examples of that you can draw. Yeah, so tech is an interesting one because it can be from a very simple solution to use a smartphone. Yeah and have a very quick and easy video recording done. But then equally, we can go into the far end of the scale with artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and augmented reality. So the later two came across a number of times. Artificial intelligence is still a bit new concept for me. find it fascinating, equally scary. But yeah, the other two, I'm more than happy to give some examples. Yeah, please. I, virtual reality, augmented reality, it's, they're super interesting. And yeah, I'd love to hear how they are being used effectively. Cool. So let's go with augmented reality. So let's picture welding. Yeah. So welding is, is, is a straightforward thing. You can get augmented reality welding units. And the way they used, the, the way I came across it in manufacturing, so organizations might take the unit with them to recruitment events. So they're not inviting the individuals on site, especially if they are working cross borders. So let's think about Europe. It's easier to fly one person to a base with the unit than actually flying five, 10 people for an interview. And that interview might not be as successful as you would want because of the skills test as part of the assessment center. 
So that is a very good way to use augmented reality because in a simulated environment, you can go through an assessment center with a lot of participants. Cost-effective, there is no raw material cost, so it's better for the environment as well in that sense. And once you are comfortable with the selection, you are inviting those individuals to the next stage. But then equal, the same concept is then used in training. So if you have, for example, apprentices who just learning welding, that is a good way of actually teaching them the fine motor skills, what is needed for, for the welding to happen. What else? And safer, I guess, as Safe. well. You know, if, you're, if someone's never Absolutely. picked up a, a welding torch before and you're giving them this thing that kicks out fire at a thousand degrees or something, you might want to get them to practice a bit first. Totally. And actually, it gives confidence as well, because if you've done it many times, like you said, in a safe and controlled environment, then it will be quite helpful when the real things is actually happening. I hadn't thought about using it for recruitment though, but that's really interesting as well, because the whole like, it's useful for testing skills as well as developing them. You know, you've got both kind of sides of the coin there. Mm. You have also virtual reality as well. So you can, you could use soft skill training and tests by having the headset on and go through different scenarios. For example, how would you deal with a tricky customer? Or equally, I had a meeting, it was a couple of years ago now, uh, with an individual who was working with the fire service and they have virtual reality. So think about the fire inspections, for example. They really need to replicate the environment to ensure, okay, so what was the cause of that, that fire? But it's very expensive and quite dangerous to actually set a unit on fire every six months for training. So actually virtual reality, again, bringing the costs down, potentially replicating a multiple different scenarios in a classroom, which can be anywhere. It doesn't need to be in a training college in a, I don't know, organization. It can be anywhere. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. There's some really mm -hmm. good examples. Yeah. As I like that. And the key themes are cost efficiency, more sustainable, environmentally friendly. And then especially in some of the examples we're talking about there, just safer and, you know, lower risk for the people involved mm -hmm. as well. You know, what's my favorite though in, in all of these? So look at the development and I think AI will have a big role in here as well. So medicine. For example, you have to have very regulated environments where you would work with human tissues, for example, but with the virtual reality and especially with the AI development, now you can work real time across continents on the same project, looking at the same diseases and tissues, and you are sharing the knowledge by being thousands of miles away. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. brilliant, isn't it? Oh, it's just endless opportunities. Cool. Fantastic. Vicky, I've got my last question for you, if that's okay. And we'll wrap up because we're going up to time. And that is, what is your top tip for anyone going into learning and development with a deskless workforce? So obviously you, you teach lots of people in this kind of position, but if you could pick one tip, I know this is hard, but pick one, <laughs> one thing it's in terms of top tip for someone going into a position like that, what would you say to them? Thinking about one tip would be Think big and understand the context of your workforce, especially if you're working with frontline and deskless workforces, because we work in systems. We must understand the whole system, how the organization operates and also the external environment. So it's coming back to the topics which we discussed earlier. Don't put on training courses, which is not the right alignment for the needs of that workforce. Understand how 
can we support them and try to understand the barriers these workforces are facing. So sometimes they will work in a van. Sometimes they work in an ambulance. Sometimes they will work in a warehouse or on a shop floor in a manufacturing area. Just because something works for Microsoft or Google or Apple, that doesn't mean it will be transferable for your organization. So be curious, be excitable, but think about the evidence and think about will it work? Brilliant. Understand your workforce. Love that. Brilliant tip to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on and it's been a joy to hear your opinions and share your expertise. And yeah, I'm sure everyone listening will agree with me. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for today, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Learning and Development Challenges Series 2. We'll be back soon with another episode. That's it for now. 